Digital Marketing Radio, episode 206. How has pay-per-click advertising changed through the years? DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The big interview with David Bain Hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by a man who bought his first paid traffic back in the year 1999. Since then, he's worked with over 1,000 companies around the world and spent in excess of $200 million on traffic. Welcome to DMR, Jim Banks. Thank you, David. Nice to be here. Good to have you here. We can find Jim over at spadesmedia.com. So, Jim... Is there anything that your 1999 self would recognize about pay-per-click advertising today? I mean, it's funny, like when I first sort of started out in in uh, 99 buying traffic, I mean, I was actually buying traffic because at the time I was running a an SEO company and I was looking for clients and I actually found the, um, you know, the, the best way of getting them was actually buying paid traffic. And at the time, the, the, the kind of clicks were all like one or two cents. For a, for a click and it was like you know phenomenal there wasn't very much competition um but it's it's really interesting i mean the um you know back back then the the, the kind of competition was minimal whereas now obviously there's there's a ton more competition um but the actual fundamentals of what what it's all about hasn't really changed from then to now so it's still you know somebody buying traffic somebody selling traffic and and um somebody actually working out how much a, a, a click is worth for um for a business, you know, so. So has there been gradual changes since then or has there been milestones that you can pinpoint and say that was the the point in time where there was a massive change? Well, it's funny actually, because obviously starting out in um, in 99, I mean, there was absolutely like, like Google didn't have any kind of paid proposition at all. I mean, back then it was a company called GoTo, uh, which uh, then morphed into a company called Overture. And, and they were kind of like, they ruled the roost for, you know, a good, a good period of time, and then Google came along with um, their first foray into Google AdWords, which was actually on a CPM basis, which, uh, you know, I think it was phenomenal for the advertisers that bought traffic from them on it, that basis, but not so good for Google themselves, and they quickly changed their model to a CPC model, and, and I guess they haven't looked back. So, um, but yeah, but it's, it's kind of, I think it's, it's, um, it's evolved. There's been periods of time when it's been very stable and there's been periods of time when it's like really gone crazy. I mean, you know, Google went through a phase where they booted out like tens of thousands of, of advertisers because they just weren't giving the user a good experience, um, you know, because they were selling products that, that people were complaining about. And it just, you know, I think it, um, it, it almost became a little bit like the wild west and, um, you know, and I guess back then, I mean, back in, in sort of 2000, when I started my first agency, you know, there was absolutely zero people um, with any experience. I mean, none of us had any experience at all. We were just almost like making it up as we went along. And I would probably say in the entire industry, there's probably less than a thousand people working in it. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas you fast forward to now, I think there's probably in the UK, probably eight, eight or 900,000 people that actually work in digital marketing in one way, shape or form. Right. So, yeah. um you know, so it's, it's been interesting to kind of be at the very beginning and see kind of how it's evolved to kind of get to where it is now. But even even where it is now, I still don't think we're, we're probably more than three out of 10 in terms of the scale of where it's going to versus where we are now. So do you mean it's going to get 
that much more expensive um, per click, or do you mean the cleverness in, t- in terms of the algorithm yeah. is going to change? Yeah, I think the cleverness. I mean, I think if you again, if you look at it, like um, sort of, sort of eighteen months, two years ago, most advertisers that were advertising. Uh, went through a bit of a tipping point where more than 50% of their traffic came from mobile devices, right? And obviously, mobiles are probably the smartest computers that we all have. When you think of what they do in, in the size of the, of the device that they have, they've got GPS and, you know, all sorts of different things. You know, you can kind of talk to it, kind of give instructions. I mean, I was up in in uh, London today and I was using OK Google to give me directions to kind of get around. And I think that whole voice-activated search is going to turn things a little bit on its head as far as, you know, like anyone that's probably, you know, under the age of, say, 18 at the moment, right? Probably voice search is going to be pretty much all they will know. They won't think in terms of keywords. They'll just talk to their phone and, and get instructions that way. Do you think that's that, that's going to be the norm then? Because some people can struggle to actually contemplate, um, I guess, people standing at a bus stop and shouting out orders at their phone. Do you think that's going to become the norm in the future? I, yeah, I think I think it it will become um, a lot more prevalent than it is now. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, I, I think you know, it's, it's it's always one of those things. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit older than a lot of people, and I I kind of walk say through Waterloo Station in London, right? And everyone that you kind of walk towards is looking at their phones, and it's almost like it's okay. I'll move out of the way. Don't worry about it, right? Mm. But that's just the way that's <laughs> yeah. the way of the world, right? I suppose it's a bit difficult to imagine at the moment, but. If we think about it, I guess even just 10 years ago, many people were concerned about the prospect of buying online and that mindset's completely changed. So, yeah, what you're saying, I'm sure, is completely true and and people's comfort zone with (laughs) what is considered as normal will change again in the future. Yeah, and I think, you know, the things that we we were worried about when we first went on to to kind of transacting online, I mean, those, those worries are still there. So, you know, identity fraud and identity theft is still an issue and it will probably always be an issue, right? I think it will always be something that, that you you will just kind of come up against. Um, but I think the difference is, is that, you know, I think the banks are kind of on top of that now. And um, and again, people just kind of accept it's part of doing business online, really. Absolutely. And the, conven- and the convenience outweighs the potential possibility that you might lose money. So in terms of how businesses are doing pay-per-click now, and perhaps thinking about a few things that used to work a few years ago, but um, aren't so effective now. What, what are a few of the things some businesses are stu- still doing now, but they actually should be changing and, and not doing now? They should be doing it a different way. So I think the um, the things that people are still doing now that probably they ought not to is that, you know, the, um, like I said, each each result is unique, right? So every time somebody does a search, the results that you get would be different than if I did the same search, right? Because in a lot of cases, you know, the, the kind of local results will kind of kick in. So you've got the proximity based on where you are versus where where I am, right? So the results will always be very different, right? And I think most advertisers just assume that it's still a case of you you kind of buy a keyword and, and it'll be the same results for everyone kind of across the board, right? And that's not the case anymore. You know, it's, it's, very, it's a very, very different... Kind of ecosystem now and i think that the advertisers that are drilling in and getting more granular with their targeting from a geographic perspective are the ones that are ultimately winning out and also the ones that are you know trying to understand you know i mean certainly google talk about the kind of moments that matter right mm. so you know if you think about it if you're on your mobile phone 
at 10 o'clock in the morning and you type the word pizza in, right, the, what you're actually looking for is very different than if you type the word pizza in at 10 o'clock in the evening. You would hope, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Some people probably will have pizza all day, every day, right? That's interesting. So a location specific targeting is 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 so important now and it wasn't i guess maybe five or so years ago um but is that the case for any business are you only talking about local um retail type businesses i mean what's what's really interesting i mean even even kind of um you know businesses that don't have a location based kind of tilt are still getting a lot of the people that that um you know are looking for results the people are looking for results on mobile phones, right? So, you know, what people are not doing, I think what most advertisers haven't done is they may have adapted their advertising buying strategy, but they haven't really kind of thought more about what the user experience should be and how they can kind of interact better with people on mobile phones versus, um, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing, it should be, you need to be able to do everything with just your thumb and holding the phone in one hand, right? And, yeah. and again, I mean, a lot of people will do searches, um, you know, with a cigarette in their hand and they've got the headphone in the other hand or a cup of tea in their hand and they've got the phone in their hand. You know, again, I, I go to, um, to uh, you know, a lot of trade shows and speak and like, you know, the number of times I go into the to the, uh, the restroom and people are sort of standing having a pee and they're on their phones, right? And I'm thinking, well, I wonder how many of these people are going to convert, right? Not not many, I would hope, right? Mm. Let me just get my credit card out. I mean, it's like, you know, I can't imagine what that anyone would convert. But ultimately, that that journey is moving people closer towards a conversion. And I think, whereas before, more sales took place where it was just typically one, possibly two touch points. Now, most user journeys are many, many touch points. So it, they, there's probably several paid clicks in there, a couple of blog posts, there'll be news articles and all sorts of different things kind of that, that move people towards a conversion. And you need to understand where in the journey your your strategy for whatever type of media you're buying will actually kick in, right? So mm. things like display advertising, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you, you shouldn't do it because it doesn't really convert that well. But it's very good to, as a kind of like a facilitator. It helps to facilitate conversions to kind of keep moving forward. You know, so, you know, people that don't do that, that kind of break the chain when they have display not in their mix will be the ones that ultimately will, will lose out. So Okay, so not just pay-per-click. You mentioned you do a lot of speaking at events as well. So why do you actually speak at events? And, um, you know, if that's an important, I guess, funnel towards what you offer as a business, do you think that um, most businesses are maybe missing out by not doing offline at the same time as online? In terms of what do I get from speaking? I mean, for, one of the things I get is I get to travel to lots of different countries, which I think is great. For me, it's, it's interesting to see how things are different in other parts of the world than the part of the world that I'm in. So as an example, last year, I think I spoke in 14 different countries and did about 70,000 miles. Um, wow. So for me, it, it was really interesting to see, you know, see the enthusiasm of people in different countries. And obviously you've got cultural differences and everything else. But for me, what I get out of it is, you know, I, I, I like I said, I was in very early on in the industry and I want to try as much as possible to help the education process move forward, right? So, you know, I speak at um, a conference in Australia, um, and I think I'm going down there at the end of next month for I think I think it's the fourth time I've been there, so the third year in a row that I that I've ever been. Which one's that? Um, called? It's called Retail Global. Okay. Um, and you know, 
the, the thing that I, I love about it, I mean, the Australian people are so friendly, they're so enthusiastic, right? But yeah. obviously because, again, probably because of proximity, they're a good couple of years behind what's going on in the UK and probably three or four years behind what's going on in the US, right? Mm. So I can kind of, kind of go down there and help um, some of the people kind of that attend that show to learn some of the things that probably will be coming their way. But equally, there are things that they do down there, you know, because it's a, a kind of country where everything, like nobody lives in the middle. So everyone yeah. lives kind of around the coast, right? So when it comes to um, logistics for getting kind of products out for, for, you know, if you're an e-commerce retailer, right, getting your products actually shipped out to people in a timely way is probably one of the biggest headaches that retailers have, mm. right? So this particular show helps, you know, they, they, they've obviously got a lot of logistics. So they've got, um, you know, like uh, I had a, a kind of um, a discussion with somebody that was working for DHL and they were talking about how they're going to have drones delivering parcels to people and everything else. And it's like, you know, for me, I'm thinking, well, this is cutting edge. And, and part of it's because they've had to adapt to the local environment they find themselves in. Yeah, it's um, Australia's a wonderful place. I was working there for a year, actually, and I, I found that um, there was a lot of traditional media that seemed to own the digital sphere as well. And I guess there were less competitors out there as well. So it was possibly easier to rank and to, 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 to get traffic uh, for certain yeah. things as well. But it's always interesting, I guess, working in a, in a different marketplace as well. Um, but in terms of different sources of traffic, we've talked a lot about um, Google AdWords uh, as the main source of pay-per-click advertising. But of course, nowadays, Facebook is, is very popular. Is, is Facebook the, the, the second up-and-coming network or are there other places as well to consider? Well, funny enough, I mean, like, so I think Facebook held their F8 conference a couple of weeks ago. If it wasn't last week, I think it was actually last week. So, um, you know, the uh, what, what, what's really kind of interesting is that, um, you know, uh, Facebook went through 4 million advertisers on their platform, like really super quick, and they've just gone through 5 million. So they now have 5 million advertisers on their platform. Wow. And... Um, and what for me is is really kind of interesting is that um, you know again Facebook is they've got such amazing kind of psychographic demographic information available you know the targeting that you can do on Facebook is absolutely amazing right but again I think in most cases the advertisers that kind of do really well are the ones that have worked out what the particular nuances of how it works are right but also to realize that. Facebook as a channel shouldn't kind of operate in a silo, right? So, you know, the, the biggest problem that you have with with the uh, the whole Facebook advertising ecosystem is a lot of companies will have the people that run the, the organic social media or the, the kind of normal social media will go, yeah, we want to run the paid social as well. And it's a completely different mindset. I mean, you know, you, your your objective in terms of what you're trying to do with with Facebook advertising should be very different than what you're trying to do if you're trying to just you know, get more followers or, or um, get people to like your posts. It's a completely different mindset. And, um, you know, I think the advertisers that, that you know, trust the, um, the advertising side of the business to, you know, the people that understand buying traffic and, you know, conversion rates and, you know, what actually what OCPM is. I mean, you know, Facebook still sell their advertising on a, a kind of cost per impression basis, right? And they use the, the letter O, which is optimized, Right. But ultimately, it's like you go, here's my wallet, Facebook, have at it and do do the best you can. And, uh, 
you know, and most advertisers just trust that process, right? And for mm. me, I'm 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 a little bit cynical. Maybe it's because of the longevity I've been doing this for. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust Google. I don't trust Facebook. I don't trust Bing. I don't trust anyone, right? Um, to to the extent where I just want to really understand the data and see if there's a, a you know an opportunity to kind of do better with it. So um, just just I guess finishing off in relation to pay per click advertising, um, we I mean we talked about Facebook as if it's a different type of advertising. Uh, are there other pay-per-click advertising networks that you would recommend then instead uh, as, I guess, something that would be closer to AdWords? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the one that springs to mind is Bing Ads, right? So, so Bing, I mean, again, I've been a huge fan of Bing forever, right? I've always kind of done really, really well whenever I've run Bing Ads. Uh, and the reason that that I think I've done well is because unlike a lot of advertisers where all they do is they import, I mean, you know, Bing made it really super easy for an advertiser to import their campaigns from Google. And I think what a lot of advertisers do is they just import their campaigns from Google and say, right, that's it, I've sorted Bing out, right? But they have a completely different methodology in terms of how they approach the, the different match types of keywords that you have, right? And I think the, the people actually spend the time understanding the particular nuances of the type of audience that that um, that Bing has. So again, they've got um, you know like they run all the search traffic on Firefox. So anyone that uses Firefox will have by default kind of Bing ads as the kind of the default search engine, right? They have AOL as one of their um, partners. So again, if you if you're um, historically you've done really really well with AOL traffic, then you know Bing is definitely somewhere where you would get kind of really really good results. Um, and in a lot of cases, I mean. You know, whenever I talk to Bing, they kind of say, well, can we do a case study, get testimonials and so on? I mean, obviously, I'm giving you kind of this here and, um, you know, I, I'm kind of becoming a lot more, um, you know, talkative about it now. But I think the reality was that I didn't want to tell people about it because for me, it, it was almost like a bit of a secret, mm. right? Whereas I don't think it's a secret now. I think they're up to sort of in the States, I think they're probably 27, 28% market share, Right in the UK, there I think they're in the low twenties. Right, so it's, it's again anyone that, that kind of ignores it, they do it at their own peril. Wow. So, and can you see that being ever more important in the future? And is Cortana something to do with that as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Windows introduced uh, Windows Ten, um, I think last year. So you know, they kind of retired some of their old stuff. Cortana's good, um, you know, uh, because again, I think it, it gives you. Like on even on desktops, you've got the kind of voice activated um, search functionality within Cortana, right? Um, so, so yeah. So I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of that. But again, just to kind of to, to throw some context, I mean, one of the bid management tools that use it as a feature is what they do is they actually replicate everything, every change you make in Google, they make it a a kind of a mirror on Bing, which for me is like a like I said, it's completely flawed to, to kind of do that. So, Well, I guess watch this space. But uh, in a moment, we're going to be talking um, about um, the piece of software that Jim couldn't live without. Um, but first of all, um, dear viewer or listener, have you purchased a copy of Digital Marketing in 2017, the book yet? 107 digital marketers, one book, all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year and written by me. So um, check out the reviews and grab your copy over at Digital 
happening in 2017.com. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that uh, focuses on Jim's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's going. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Jim, what software do you currently use in your own business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Okay, so I think for me that the one piece of software that I really would struggle to to not have would be HubSpot. Yeah, okay. so we're at we, um, my my agency is um, a HubSpot partner, and um, you know, and and consequently, we, we you know we obviously use it in our own business, but we also help other businesses to kind of implement it. And a lot of it is just down to you know we'll help people with um, you know landing pages for lead generation. You know, people that do email. So the thing I really love about Hotspot is it brings everything to kind of together in in one place. You know, so it's almost like a bit of a Swiss Army knife for marketers, um, and also it, it enables people that that have like um, you know maybe field salespeople to to actually get much much better sales enablement out of the the salespeople that they have because you know the traffic in and of itself is not a magic wand. You still need people to you know pick up the phone and call the leads or you know close the leads and you know having the uh, the ability to kind of follow that whole sort of step right the way through in one piece of software is probably the best thing. Like I said, for me, I I, I couldn't live without that. Okay, well, there's certainly been a few recommendations of HubSpot, so it must be a good thing. Um, here's a slightly more challenging challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, that's a really, that's a really, really good one. I mean, the, the one thing, I mean, like, so for my business, I use QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um for accounting and you know i mean I, I i guess it's almost like i used it because way back in the day i used it back then and i'm still using it now and i've heard a lot of really good things about i think it's um zero mm-hmm. xero yeah. which is the kind of accounting software so that's probably the thing that i might have a look at to see if i can kind of make that kind of better because as much as you know like running a business you still need to to you know send out bills and collect money and everything else and you know for me that's just one of those um it's a a necessary i say a necessary evil it's not an evil at all but you know it's it's uh it's something that you just need to do right and and for me i'd much rather spend my time you know looking after clients speaking and traveling and everything else rather than you know doing kind of accounting and everything else absolutely make your life more efficient make your business more efficient if i I remember off the top of my head i think zero might have been formed in new zealand actually but um um, every company is global now to a certain degree, so it doesn't really matter. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I'll include those recommendations in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But moving on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day uh, that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Well, I think probably the, the thing that... Because uh, I mentioned at the beginning that um, I started out life as an SEO agency. Mm-hmm. And I always remember like running around going, hey, I've got my first client because I got a client to um, to sign up for a, what 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 I had was a, a retainer. And I was charging, <laughs> I look back and go, what an idiot, right? But I charged this guy 40 pounds a month, right? And then I I turned to my wife, I turned to my wife and I went, I'm going to have to get an awful lot of these 40 pound a month clients to kind of make a decent living, you know? Mm. So I think for me, it was, it was one of those. And again, maybe, maybe at the time it was, um, it was, uh, sensible, but I didn't really realize just how valuable my knowledge was, right? Because yeah. even though it was back then, it was I still knew an awful lot more than most people did about SEO and paid search now. And obviously, so for me, it's like, um, you know, I think it's important 
now to, to kind of price your expertise accordingly, right? Because, you know, the value that you bring to the table is far, far. Again, I, I've always said to people, I put an awful lot more money on the table than I will ever take off it. Mm. And is that right for businesses getting started today? Or is it right for businesses getting started to charge as little as possible that they can get by on and then build their client base from there? It's, again, it's always difficult. I mean, I, like before doing this, I, I used to um, to work in insurance. I sold insurance for like 12 years. So I've always been good at selling. And I think as long as you have the uh, the courage in your convictions that you, you can kind of do good work for people, you know, you should, you know, as long as you kind of deliver what you, you're promising and never, never kind of promise things that you don't actually end up delivering because ultimately you'll have a really bad experience and that bad experience will follow you around, right? So, you know, your reputation will kind of get around very quickly if you don't deliver, if you don't kind of do good work for people, it gets around very quick. Great advice. Well, let's move on to... The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rows here. Try not to think about the question too much and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? Both. Outreach or advertise? Advertise. Email to one or email to many? Email to one. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Social subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Local marketing. Well, I thought it was going to be paid search there, but it was both for that. Um, Why can I use it once? You can, and you managed to do that. So <laughs> it's it's funny actually. So so the next event I'm speaking at is uh, called Search Elite, mm-hmm. and I got called out. So so the, the topic that I'm talking about there is um, basically don't waste money on PPC, right? And somebody called me out, basically saying, "Oh, it's not a waste of money." Blah blah blah. And I, what I was trying to say was, you know, don't don't spend money inefficiently rather than don't spend money on PPC, mm. right? And I think for me, it's like, I don't ever say to people, don't do SEO and only do PPC. I think you need to kind of have a, a very balanced kind of portfolio of what of what you actually kind of do. Because again, some people never click on ads, right? And again, I mean, I, 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 I saw it at, um, mentioned the other day, Google are talking about creating a an ad blocker for their own browser. And I'm thinking, well, that seems that you know, like that could wipe out AdWords overnight, right? <laughs> yeah. If everyone installs it, right? But it, you know, again, it's sort of like I don't quite know how that's going to work. But you know, but but for me, it's it's one of those things. You know, you could be top of the world one day, and you could have something vanish overnight, right? Again, if you were one of those advertisers that had your account shut down mm. by Google, it's like, well, what do you do then? I mean, that you know, and, and that's funny enough. I mean, you know, we talked about Facebook advertising. I mean. In some respects, Facebook have grown so quickly, they're going through that period now. They don't have anywhere near enough editorial people to actually check all the ads that advertisers are submitting. Mm. So rather than, you know, going, oh, okay, we, we can't kind of cope with this, they're just kind of blanket banning, kind of <laughs> shutting accounts down, yeah. right? Because there's an awful lot of kind of weird and wonderful things that kind of happen on that. And it's just like, that's their way of addressing it at this moment in time. I'm sure in time it'll get better, 
right? But they have to kind of just say, well, okay, we're not taking any more. We're not taking any more of that. So, you know, they've shut things down. So you, know, you always need to have a plan B. Absolutely. And you also said desktop over mobile, which surprised me a little bit. Is it not? I think, I think, I think I'd said both by, by that time. Otherwise, I probably would have said both, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't do. I, again, I don't think you can do one or the other. I think you, you probably would need to do both. Yeah. But, you know, and, and really, I mean, it's again, it, it comes back to the, 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 the answer is really context. Yeah. And that wasn't an option. Absolutely. Right? So, absolutely. Yes. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Oh, that's a really good question. So, I, I guess I would probably spend $10,000 trying to find my way, buy my way into one of these kind of great mastermind groups that exist. Right, because again, there are so many of these groups where that's kind of like the the kind of the buy into the group, yeah. right? But you get the opportunity to kind of network with, um, you know, people that are you know at a very kind of similar level to yourself or kind of above that. Um, and I think that you know, certainly for me, yeah, kind of where I am. I mean, maybe if I was like just starting out, it'd be a completely different proposition. But where I am now, it's like, you know, again, I'm I'm trying to. Um, to help our industry to kind of evolve and grow. And, and I think some of it just takes a little bit more kind of deep, deep thinking, deep understanding. Um, and I think that's where those, those sort of mastermind groups really kind of uh, pay off in a big way. And in terms of paying off, is it possible to actually measure the ROI from that? Again, this might sound really stupid. I don't actually measure the success of my own agency in monetary terms, right? For me, it's not about the money. I always say, the money side of it will sort itself out if you just do good work yeah. for the clients that you work with, right? So for me, I, I don't, like I said, I, I probably should put more of a tangible like ROI or whatever on it, but I just think it's, you know, do good work. You'll get kind of rewarded adequately for that. And, um, you know, and everyone's happy then at that point. Yes. I've, I always say, don't count other people's money, right? So if your client's making boatloads of money and you're not, don't complain about it because, you know, that's that's just the nature of the beast, right? Mm. And you should be delighted that they've they've done that. I mean, again, I've I've helped a lot of companies start out from nothing, become really successful, and you know, and I'm absolutely delighted that we were in there right at the very beginning to kind of help them get their their kind of first start off um, in terms of their first step on the ladder. So, does that mean that big corporates shouldn't put their executives in into masterminds and pay big money for it because they can't measure the impact that that's going to have <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean it's 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 interesting because I, I i know a lot of big corporates invest quite heavily into that type of thing mm. and there's always got to be a or well, what are we actually going to get in return right and you know i've always liked that the, the argument i always liked is well what if you don't invest in people yeah <laughs> right absolutely what then, right you know, because that's far worse. I think if you don't invest in people, they'll either leave, they'll feel undervalued, or you know, I just think it's uh, it's worth that investment. Yeah, no, I think that's a good response. Absolutely, I like just like playing, playing devil's advocate a little bit with questions, but uh, good response. But uh, that just takes us up to my number one takeaway. So, Jim, you've offered a lot of great advice in the conversation today, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener needs to take away and implement in their business? Okay, for me, I would say the number one thing you need to take away is that 
you know, no one paid channel works in isolation. So you can't just do Facebook on its own. You can't do AdWords on its own. You can't do Bing on its own. You need to kind of join the dots between them because people move around. I mean, you know, we, we use a lot of remarketing and people will start a journey on Facebook, then go to Google, then back to Facebook, then onto Bing and so on. And we just need to make sure that we're always there, right? So, you know, people just go, well, like, I, I only do Facebook or I only do AdWords. And I think for me, that's that's a, you know, again, a potential flaw. So to try and and do, I know people say you can't be a kind of master of everything, but you need to try as best you can to do that. And uh, I'm going to be cheeky and ask one more question because in relation to that, people move around. So what's your opinion in terms of attribution and measuring the effectiveness of each source of traffic if someone doesn't com- convert immediately? Yeah. Again, I, I you know, it sounds really stupid. I had a conversation with somebody earlier today when I, I was up in town. We are talking about attribution. And, and in my view, attribution is a, a kind of like a, a, an, an internal silo measurement tool, right? Because ultimately it's about, I'm in the paid search channel the team or the SEO team or the email team. And I want kind of what, what, you know, I want the recognition that my channel brings to the table. Right. Whereas I think, you know, if you actually look at it, the whole thing with attribution, I mean, you know, I used to work in the affiliate space and, you know, the, the implementation of things like voucher code affiliates was the complete death knell of, of most good, you know, uh, content publishers that, you know, they, they would spend a lot of time, you know, generating lots of traffic mm-hmm. and then, somebody would come in with a voucher code and steal the, the kind of sale at the last kind of knocking and claim all the commission. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things at the time that was that, you know, we were in a bit of a recession and people were going, Oh, we need to get a discount. And it's become, that's the norm now. Like most people will look for a, a, um, a coupon or discount of some description. Right. But I think the actual payment should probably be much more evenly distributed, but between all of the, the channels that actually, contributed and again i mean you know i've seen so many different models that people have tried to implement ultimately the best one would be a data-driven model so it's based upon your business and your historical data and there 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 you can kind of like say right we're going to give 10 percent to that 20 percent to that 40 percent to that again i've seen so many companies where when you actually add up the attribution model it comes to about 130 percent i'm like that's not being reflected in your, um, you know, if you look in the till, there's not 130 pounds, there's only 100. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, so somewhere along the way, they need to kind of redress that balance. So. Do you think last click will still be with us as the most popular way of attribution in five to 10 years time? Um, I think, again, I think, you know, it depends to what extent the tracking technologies are able to kind of address that, right? Because I think, Last click has been the most popular because it's been the easiest one to implement, mm. right? Whereas I think if if the technology providers and there's definitely some out there that, that are kind of getting there, where you know they can kind of look at all of the different uh, touch points and actually you know do a proper attribution model, right? Then I think last click will will ultimately end up dying. And I think in some respects, first click will start getting more recognition because ultimately that's the, the kind of first stepping point in the journey. Great. Okay. Well, lots of interesting thoughts there. So I reckon that takes us up to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do, Jim? Um, well, they can either get a hold of me on uh, Facebook. I, I mean, it's funny, actually, I own all of the Jim Banks profiles. So I like Jim Banks on Twitter, Jim Banks on LinkedIn, Jim Banks on Facebook. And there is a Jim Banks 
senator in the in he's a politician, <laughs> right? And I get loads of his tweets, his hate tweets. I get them, <laughs> right? So if you've got something nice to say, it's at Jim Banks. If you've got something not nice to say politically, then like talk to him. But uh, yeah. So, <laughs> At Jim Banks would be the best way of getting hold of me on Twitter. Great. Okay, and I'll include the links to all the At Jim Banks in the in the show notes as well. <laughs> so um, yeah, thanks to Jim and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what Jim shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is of course facebook.com/slash/digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me at David Bain. I am at David Bain. I got my name on Twitter as well. And um, please to please remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for podcasts, for for iPhones rather, or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But till we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios.